who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near and don't we know that John to the seven churches in the province of Asia grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father to him be glory and power forever and ever amen look he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him so shall it be amen I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty I John your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos before the word because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus on the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus Smyrna Pergamon Thyatira Sardis Philadelphia and Laodicea I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest his head and hair were like wool as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire his feet was like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead then he placed his right hand on me and said do not be afraid I am the first and the last I am the living one I was dead and behold I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and of Hades write therefore what you have seen what is now what will take place later the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches God's word thanks Josh good morning we have a exciting yet challenging prospect ahead of us today and in the coming weeks going through the book of Revelation uh, there's a life group study down the back if you want to have a look at that and follow uh, the series through the week uh, how about we bow in prayer and ask for God to speak to us this morning let's pray Heavenly Father we know that you're God who speaks and you love to speak to us through your word Lord this morning we come to a rather daunting uh, passage and book and letter Lord, we pray that you'll speak to us clearly this morning. Help us 
to understand what you're trying to say. And Lord, I pray that you'll challenge us to live for Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You know, it's hard to be a Kiwi in Australia. As many of you know, I grew up in New Zealand before I came over to Brizzy. And even to this day, I still get called out for being a Kiwi. It's like being that younger brother that always gets picked on. We get picked on for our accents. Say your vowels properly, mate, they said. Speak proper English, they said. How do you say fish and chips, they said. We get picked on also for living in a country where there's more sheep than people. How is it living with the sheep's mate, they said. Have some lamb for dinner, they said. And we all know you're jealous every time we beat you in the rugby. Kiwis are always picked on here in Australia. We're the persecuted ones, the suffering ones. <laughs> but as we come to Revelations this morning, we see a group who's really, actually suffering, who are really being persecuted. It was much more than rugby, sheep, and English. You see, Christians in the first century, their backs were right to the walls. State-sanctioned persecution. If you follow Jesus, you wouldn't be able to get a job. Your, uh, people wouldn't buy from your businesses. You'd be left out of clubs, social groups, just because you went to church. The pagans, they would abuse you verbally and physically. The emperor, they'd, he'd force you to worship him, to go to the temple once every year, and to proclaim that Caesar is Lord. And those who wouldn't do this, they would face jail and death. You see, it's out of this context that revelation is written and received. Most of us will probably never have to experience this sort of persecution, but I think some of us will. And all of us will face suffering as we live for Jesus in this world, both now and into the future. You can see it in the news where anything except the Christian worldview is tolerated in reports about ISIS, as we already heard, and shootings that target Christians. You can see it in society also, when people just shut you down when you bring up Jesus or church, or in the lunchroom when people just pay out on Christianity. In some ways, our backs are to the walls also, too. It's getting that way today. So as we begin the series, I think Revelation has a message for us today also. But I think many of us shiver as we go through the prospect of looking at Revelation. We all have questions, don't we, as we come to this book. We don't really get it. It's confusing. It's a bit out of this world. It's like a Harry Potter book, dragons and beasts, magic and symbols, lambs and lions, trumpets, seals and bowls. And then it's also like reading a horoscope. It's like some sort of prophecy into the future. It's vague, and we don't really get it, and we try to piece it together. We speculate. It looks like a scary, confusing, and daunting book to cover. But as we work our way through this series, I hope we can dispel some of this confusion and fear, because I think the main message of Revelation is very clear. Yes, there's going to be details that we don't really get, there's going to be symbols and pictures that seem a bit out of this world. But I think the melody of this whole writing should jump out at us as we look through this series. 
And the message in chapter 1, as we have a look, I think it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty hard to miss the main character here. Look at how many times Jesus is mentioned. Verse 1, it's his revelation. Verse 4, it's he's the faithful witness, the firstborn, the ruler of the kings of the earth. It goes on and on. He's coming again. He's in the middle of the lampstands. Verse 13 to 16, have a look. What a magnificent description of Jesus. He's the first and the last. He's the living one. He holds the keys to death and Hades. Revelations begins with Jesus at center stage. The spotlight's on him. And through the book, he's calling his wary saints, the persecuted ones, to keep going, to say no to compromise and idolatry, knowing that Jesus has the final victory. You might have seen in this chapter already there's seven churches, seven lampstands, seven stars. Well, as we go through this passage today, I have seven quick points about Jesus that we need to take note of today. So let's have a look. Uh, We start at the first few verses. One of the big questions is, what are we actually dealing with? I think it's important to get our bearings right as we read this book, so we read it in the right way. Uh, When I was in grade five, uh, the first Harry Potter book came out. I was about this high, round-faced kid. Some of you guys remember me. Uh, And being the typical Asian nerd, I love reading non-fiction books. I love reading reference books, historical books. So reading Harry Potter was quite a shock to me. I hated it until I was in high school. Magical wands, flying cars, I mean, come on, wizarding schools. It was just a load of rubbish to me back then. But that was probably because I was approaching the book the wrong way. It's not a textbook. It's not a historical book. It's a fantasy novel. And I think we make the same sort of mistake as we read Revelation. We approach it the wrong way. So what kind of writing are we dealing with? Well, the first verse, if you have a look, gives us part of the answer. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. The writing is a revelation. It's an apocalypsis, which means it's a revealing. It's the opposite of confusing. It's an unveiling of what must soon take place. So it's about the future, but it's soon. It's about the immediate future. It's also called a prophecy. Have a look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. It's a divine word from God. It's not a mere prediction. It's a declaration from God, just like in the Old Testament. And this apocalyptic, prophetic thing is also a letter. Have a look at verse 4. It looks like a letter from John to the seven churches. And it's to be read aloud in the churches, verse 3. So this writing, it will encourage, it will rebuke, it will call people to action, just like all the other letters in the New Testament. And as these churches, as they get this letter and read it, uh, I think as they read the first three verses, um, they're reading this as they're getting their bearings around this triple genre monstrosity. Uh, John is encouraging his readers remember before, they're doing it tough. Their backs are to the wall. They're living for Jesus. They're copying a lot of flack. They feel weary, downtrodden, and they want to give up. But John says in these first few verses, he says, you're blessed. You who read this 
you who hear this and obey this. You guys who are living for Jesus, this is your reality. You're blessed by Jesus. Jesus blesses those who live for him. And that's the first thing to take note of today. Some of you are here this morning. Uh, you come to church weary, down, and suffering. You're living faithfully for Jesus, and it might be tough for you waving his flag in this world. Maybe you feel like God's abandoned you, or you're not seeing God at work. Well, Jesus here reminds straight off the bat, Jesus blesses those who live for him. You who are living for Jesus, you who read and hear and obey his word, this word, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what's happening in this world, remember where you really stand with Jesus. You're blessed by him. And that's what he's trying to say. And as we keep going, we see the greeting in this letter. It's one of the few openings that address the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And here we see who is at the center of attention. I was at two weddings over the past month, and it's obvious when you go to a wedding who's the center of attention. If we think about the procession, who gets all the attention? The bridesmaids are there, but it's always the bride that's the center of attention. When the parents do their speeches, uh, they usually say a little bit about themselves, sometimes a bit too much, but it's the bride and the groom that's the focus. As we read this Trinitarian greeting, uh, we see that Jesus is the center of attention. Have a look at verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who, him who is and who was and who is to come. This apocalyptic letter is from God the Father, the I Am, who appeared to Moses in Exodus, the Eternal Father, and from the seven spirits, or the sevenfold spirit, who are before his throne. This is the Holy Spirit. It's described as seven, probably to symbolize perfection, and it's relating somehow to the seven angels and the seven churches, and from Jesus Christ. He's mentioned last instead of second, and if you look at his description, it's pretty massive. You see, Jesus is the center of attention. And that's the second thing about Jesus to note. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. All these titles are from Psalm 89. I remember Brendan mentioned last week, Revelation oozes with Old Testament references. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the son of David who rules God's people. It goes on in verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. John just keeps going. He reminds us that Jesus took away our sins on the cross and he's made us all priests and kings. Jesus is the center of attention. He's the promised Messiah, our risen Savior. He's freed us and exalted us before God's throne. And John's just completely overwhelmed. His response here is to praise Jesus. Jesus is the center of attention. But let me ask you, is he the center of attention for us? Is Jesus clearly what we're on about in our lives and in this church? Does hearing about his work overwhelm us? to praise him. 
Unfortunately, I think many people go to church and don't hear about Jesus. Many people who bump into Christians don't hear about Jesus. Instead, they hear about good morals, about making a difference, being positive. They see hypocrisy, division. They see a church that's stuck in the 18th century or a church that looks more like a polished show. But we need to make sure that Jesus is the center of attention. This isn't taking anything away from the Father or the Spirit. It's just saying that Jesus is central. He's vital to God's saving work. You see, Jesus is the center of attention. And Jesus also has the final say, which is the third thing to note. Uh, Last year, we had a a 40% final Greek exam at college. And let me tell you that studying languages is one of the most stressful subjects for people at college. People fret, they're anxious, they're nervous, they're scared, they'll fail. But going into this 40% final exam, I was the exact opposite. Maybe this was the nerdy side of me coming out, but I'd already passed the subject. So while everyone else was panicking and nervy, I was sleeping in, I was relaxing at the beach, I was playing games, I was probably actually doing church work in the office, I was just so calm about it all. Uh, I could have just rocked up at college, wrote my name on the exam paper, and that's it, I'd pass. It was in the bag, no sweat. It was calm as anything, because I knew that it was going to end fine. And that's what verse 7 and 8 is trying to do, if we have a look. You see, while the people were suffering and they were being persecuted, Jesus wants them to be calm, to know that it's going to end fine. But uh, because despite all that's happening in their lives, Jesus has the final say. Have a look at verse 7. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So it shall be. Amen. No matter what you're going through, you can be calm and assured that Jesus has the final say. You see, he's coming again in power, and everyone's going to acknowledge him. And Christ's enemies, they will be put in their place, mourning and ruining that they denied Jesus. Revelation is written to encourage the churches, to encourage us today. So no matter what's happening in this world, in your life, whatever ways that you're suffering for Jesus, you can be assured that it's in the bag. Jesus has the final say, so you don't have to second-guess following Jesus. You don't have to worry or to be shy about living for him, about what people think of you, about what people might do to you. As, we, as we'll see later, you don't even have to worry about death because Jesus has the final say. And as we keep going, the fourth point is really just a small passing point. Uh, John introduces himself in verse 9. Have a look. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I said, John's a pretty smart guy. But here he reminds me of one of those boxes who just can't be knocked down. He's suffering just like his readers, just like some of us. He's been banished by the Roman emperor to this no-name island called Patmos because he keeps preaching Christ. 
No, but no one can keep this guy down. He keeps getting up. He keeps enduring. He's like that Duracell bunny in the commercial that just keeps going. And John's not a super apostle. He says here that he's a brother and a companion. He's on the same level as his readers and us today. He's about 80 or 90 years old. He knows all about suffering, but he knows that Jesus has the final say, the final victory. And the passing point is that Jesus is worth enduring for. We see this in John's example. We've just read all his letters. He's put up with suffering. He's put up with divided churches, with politics and false teachers, and he's still going. So whether you're young or old or somewhere in the middle, whatever stage of life you're in, Jesus is worth enduring for right to the end because he's the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. And this whole book declares Jesus has the final victory. That's why he's worth enduring for. Now we come to some of the fun verses. Uh, we're up to verse 12. Uh, this is a recurring youth group exercise. I think I've done it three times here in this church. The leaders told us to draw Jesus from the following verses. Uh, we used to have a youth Bible study at 5 o'clock in the conference room with Pastor Brian and Steve, and we were told by them to draw Jesus. And maybe mine looks something like this if it comes up. I'm a lefty, so the stars are in his left hand instead. But on a serious note, I don't think that's how we're supposed to read this few verses. It doesn't make sense anyway, because Jesus somehow has the stars in his right hand and also place his right hand on John. You see, it's picture language here, and John's using this language to describe the perfect God-man, Jesus. Uh, we just had the NRL grand final. I know some of you guys love it. Now imagine the perfect rugby league player. He's got the leadership of Alfie Langer, the speed of Anthony Milford. He's got the big fend-off of Greg Inglis, the heart of Gordon Tallis, the sidestep of Jonathan Thurston, and the voice of Darren Lockyer. <laughs> you see, it's all picture language. It's a composite picture. It's not a literal description. We were imagining just then but here, John's describing someone real, the risen Christ. He's using Old Testament picture language from Daniel and Ezekiel to tell us about the Jesus that he saw. You see, John's trying to describe the, the glorious Christ, the one like a son of man, the perfect God-man. And each image tells us more and more about Jesus. And if you just take a step back and ponder these verses... I think Jesus is ridiculously amazing, which is the next thing to note. Jesus is glorious, he's majestic, he's terrifying, he's awe-filling, he's jaw-droppingly incredible. Jesus is ridiculously amazing. We don't have time to discuss each one in detail, but here's a summary. Let's start at verse 12. It says, When I turned and saw the seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Jesus is in the middle of the lampstands. He's in the middle of the churches. He's in control and he's at work in the churches. And his title is one like a son of man from Daniel chapter 7. As we move on, he's dressed 
in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The robe and the sash, it's a sign of dignity at the very least. Some people say that uh, these are priestly garments. I'm not sure, but I think either way, Jesus is presented in majesty and royalty. Verse 14, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. Jesus is described as the ancient of days, like God. His eyes were like blazing fire. Nothing escapes the gaze of Jesus. No sin, no faithful deed, no injustice. Jesus sees all. How terrifying and awesome is that? Verse 15, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. This guy tramples over his enemies. He's not someone to be messed with. And his voice is described like God's voice in Ezekiel. Jesus is portrayed as God because he is God. And we need to remember that. In verse 16, Jesus holds the churches in his right hand. The church is safe and secure in Christ's hands, no matter what his readers feel like, no matter what we feel like today. And his word is like a double-edged sword. It's the most deadliest weapon in the empire at that time. And his face was a blazing splendor, dazzling and terrifying for his enemies. Sometimes we forget that Jesus is just amazing, that he's glorious, majestic, all-filling, and incredible. The book starts this way, to remind his weary saints, to remind us. He's saying, remember who I am. Remember who's really Lord. It's not Caesar, but it's me, the glorious Christ. I'm powerful. I see everything. I'm God. I've got it all under control. So don't worry. Look to me. Jesus is ridiculously amazing. And in these verses, Jesus wants his people to look to him. Remember me. Have you forgotten what an amazing, glorious Lord that I am? Focus on me, not what's happening in this world. I'm powerful. I'm God. I've got it all under control. It's a terrifying yet comforting, majestic sight of Jesus. And there's the next thing to note. Jesus brings comfort to his weary saints. It's just a quick passing point in this passage. We talked about it heaps already, but this is seen clearly in verse 17. John's completely overwhelmed again. Have a look. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. John was so filled with awe and amazement at the glory of Christ that he falls to his feet. It's a posture of worship and unworthiness. Last night, uh, I had pizza at Sunnybank Hills, and while I was tucking in, a hand grabbed my shoulder. It was the boss, this uh, big Italian fella, and he came around to see how our meal was. He was bubbly, cheerful, and maybe he had a bit too much wine to drink. And it surprised us a little bit. But as we look here, Jesus' hand, while surprising, it's definitely a hand of comfort. It's his right hand, the strong hand. It's symbolizing power. Don't be afraid. You're safe and secure with me. He says, I am the first and the last. Jesus is sovereign over all things. This is the Jesus that brings comfort 
to his weary saints, both then, through the ages, and even today. Maybe some of us today are one of the weary saints. Maybe you're suffering in this world. You're tempted to take your eyes off Jesus. You're struggling. You want to give up. You feel a bit lost, disenfranchised, a bit confused with your walk with him. But Jesus is saying, run to me, look to me, because Jesus brings comfort to his weary saints. And as we come to the seventh and the last point, I think it's true that we generally listen to someone who has authority. Uh, When the GFC hit uh, a few years ago, I just got a job as a student architect. Uh, We were getting underpaid like crazy, and we were all scared of getting the sack. It was around the end of financial year, and we were all getting interviewed about our KPIs and our jobs and stuff like that. And I distinctly remember those few weeks. Anything that the boss asked of us, we'd do it. Anything that the boss didn't like, we'd change it. We looked to him. We listened to him. We obeyed our boss because he had authority over our employment. Now, Jesus has a much higher authority here in verse 18. Have a look. He says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am, lo- I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades, or in other words, he's got authority over life and death. He's got the power to send you to heaven or hell, to be saved or to be judged. Jesus is the one to listen to. You see, these readers, they were beginning to wonder who they should listen to in this world. Would would they listen to the state or to their pagan friends and family? Jesus reminds them here, I'm the living one. I've got authority over death and hell. So listen to me, not the world. Jesus is the one to listen to. And it's true for us today. Whatever issue it may be, whether it's a salvation issue or issues like marriage, abortion, evolution, human rights, the world is saying things. They're saying, don't believe in Jesus. We're all good. Don't think like that. Everything is fine. But Jesus is the one to listen to because he has power and authority over death. What do you think is better, to listen to Jesus, to suffer now, and to be found in him for eternity, or to listen to the world, to have a seemingly smooth life now, but to be found dead for eternity? Jesus has much more to say about this in the next few chapters, but he prepares us by saying, listen to me. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to the state, to the emperor. Don't listen to your pagan buddies. I have the keys of life and death. Jesus is the one to listen to. So as we finish off this morning, remember that Jesus takes center stage in the beginning of this book. And this is supposed to be a comfort and encouragement to his readers and also to us today. It's not that confusing. It's pretty clear. Jesus blesses those who live for him. He's the center of attention. He has the final say. Jesus is worth enduring for. He's ridiculously amazing. He comforts his weary saints. And he's the one that we are to listen to. So as we live, as we struggle, as we persevere in this world, uh, this world that's increasingly the risen Christ, let's take note of Jesus. Let's 
be challenged and lift our eyes to him, to fix our eyes on him, to be comforted by him, and to be filled in awe at his sight and his presence. So let's pray to this end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin uh, this series looking at Revelation, this letter that you've given to your people, I pray that you help us to clearly understand your word, to help us to see this world clearly, to see Jesus clearly, to see your final victory clearly, so that we can endure and we can keep living for you in this world. Please comfort those here today who are suffering, who are being persecuted for your name. Comfort those around the world who are being persecuted for following Jesus. Lift their eyes to him. Please make yourself known to those who feel distant or lost this morning. Fill us all with awe as we gaze upon your Son, the risen Christ. Remind us of his power, his rule, his sovereignty, his love, his sacrifice, his authority over death, your victory over evil. Work in us by your Spirit so that we can see Jesus in his splendor and glory. In his mighty and sure name we pray. Amen.